as a Niners fan, um, honestly, I've, this is the most at peace I've been with after after an NFC Championship loss. In the last like 10 years, I think we've had about three of them. And this is the least disappointed I've been because my expectations were kind of set set accordingly. Good so opening. It's the possibilities. I don't are endless. I don't care about the endless possibilities. And nobody, both of you guys, left me on red. You guys didn't say anything. What do you mean, both you guys, of us? But I, I said, oh, it was a great weekend of football. Both of you guys just sort of like looked at me. Like, you just kind of started. You started talking, and nothing happened. Yeah, we didn't realize that. Dude, was that was intro. a great intro. <laughs> it was a great weekend of football. Nobody well, honestly, said anything, well, so. now we have an intro, and unfortunately, the possibilities for the Niners are not endless. They have a little bit of a tricky situation coming up after that championship game loss. Um, here to talk about with us is our friend of the pod, Haram Tamankar, and one of the biggest Niner fans I know. Um, just give me your first initial thoughts now that you've had a little bit of time to process that game. What did you think about some of the decisions, first half, second half, and some of the fallout from that game regarding, you know, potential roster turnover, um, the press conferences? Just give me your initial thoughts. Yeah, um, so to start, um, I think Kyle Shanahan is in Sean McVay's head. He's been in his head for a while. Um, if Sean McVay had somehow lost this game, I think he would be getting dragged through the mud right now for his usage of timeouts and challenges in that game. They were just down horrible. Um, but as a Niners fan, um, honestly, I, this is the most at peace I've been with after after an NFC Championship loss. In the last like 10 years, I think we've had about three of them. And this is the least disappointed I've been because my expectations were kind of set, set accordingly. Um, I knew that as long as um, defenses were game planning for to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw a ball. Um, the Niners were at some point going to hit a ceiling where they weren't going to be able to win big games anymore. And, you know, props props to basically everyone on the team and the staff for making it as far as they did, given those limitations. But um, I knew those limitations would eventually come out and show their ugly face. And that's kind of exactly what happened. Um, the Rams kind of sold out to stop the run and they did a great job at limiting our backs or our wide wide backs <laughs> and as a result uh you know um we lost the game which yeah again i can't say i'm too too disappointed i partially was expecting this um i will say i was not expecting it to happen this late into the playoffs so it was a fun ride for sure um but yeah my initial reaction was um i was surprisingly at peace with it um i'm kind of relieved that the jimmy garoppolo era is finally coming to an end because um, it's been a roller coaster with him. He's brought winning back to the Niners, whether it's because of him or whether because of the fact that I think any competent quarterback in this offense would have done that is a whole different story. But regardless, it's been a lot of ups, um, a lot of downs, and I'm just, I'm kind of glad that it's, it's over now. Uh, you know, Ani, um, just piggybacking off of that, like, a lot of Niner fans are saying, like, you know, relieved that the Jimmy G era is done and looking forward to Trey area or all these potential quarterback options for next year. But we saw some of the pressers and, you know, Jimmy looked emotional, like talking about how when he came here, it wasn't like this. Like they were struggling, you know, a lot of roster changes, um, coaching changes. And then Shanahan came in, Jimmy came in and all of a sudden the Niners became this nfc powerhouse team yet again so he 
whatever you think about his talent, his inability to make the big throws when it matters, there's no doubt that he left an indelible mark of winning on this culture. Yes and and no. I definitely agree that he he helped turn the culture around, but I think Jimmy G's a regular season quarterback and, and not a playoff quarterback. And I think in in the regular season he can help you win games. He can help you get to the one and two seed, which we've seen them do in 2019 to the 2018, 2019 season, right? Or sorry, 2019, 2020 season. I, the years are confusing nowadays, but you know we've seen that he can help the, the 49ers become a good regular season team. We saw when, when Jimmy G was injured that the 49ers struggled, right? But the playoffs are all about one more drive, right? One more quarter. And Jimmy G, I think, really struggles when he has his back against the wall and he he needs one more drive. And I think you know, the, the end of this season this year against the Rams, he did deliver, but I think that was not what he usually does. And I don't think that that's what he's, you know, he, he's made out all to be. So I think, I think Jimmy G is a pretty good quarterback. I think he's better than most of the quarter, quarterbacks in the league, honestly. Uh, it's just that in, in my opinion, his, his clutchness, is, is a big factor in teams deciding, yeah, should we get this guy or not? Because I know as much flack as Kirk Cousins gets, and I do agree with most of it, he, he is low-key kind of clutch sometimes, actually a lot of the times. Um, like somehow, like it seems like the Vikings always need to be like, have like a pretty bad record halfway through the season, be like, oh yeah, you know, now let me throw for like 3,500 yards in the last like, 10 games like it's some crazy thing like that and i feel like like there's a lot of teams i know that are looking for jimmy g as potential options right we we, we look at potentially the Tampa bay buccaneers with tom brady retiring could jimmy g fit in there right we look at the pittsburgh steelers with big big ben retiring could could jimmy g fit in there the denver broncos if aaron Rodgers decides to stay in green bay or aaron Rodgers decides to go somewhere else they could potentially use jimmy g Right, so you have all these teams that potentially need and could use Jimmy G, but the the question these teams should ask themselves is, I think Jimmy G could get any three of those teams to the playoffs the way they're constructed right now. You get him a little bit more help, okay, cool. And all three of those teams have enough money and free agency, enough cap space to go ahead and construct a team that I think Jimmy G could take to the playoffs for sure. But the issue is once you get to the playoffs, right, can you go ahead and win those games? And if you do need to be clutch, can you go ahead and be clutch? Right, and a lot of the games that Jimmy G's lost, especially the the past two games where Jimmy G's lost big in the in the playoffs, that was the Chiefs and the Rams. They've had the lead going into the fourth quarter, right? And Shanahan, I think, did not do a great job in both those games of, of play calling. Maybe because he felt limited by Jimmy G. I'm not I'm not sure what. And obviously, this time was a a, a bit of an interesting situation given Jimmy G's injury and whatnot. But what I will say is that you know the. They were outscored twenty-one to zero in the fourth quarter of the Chiefs Super Bowl game. They're outscored thirteen to zero here, right? If if Shanahan had another quarterback, if he had Trey Lance, if he had Kirk Cousins, if he had any other quarterback, would he be conservative in that play calling when we know right that the Rams were selling out to stop the run? So there's a lot of questions that that need to be answered about Jimmy G. I think he's a great regular season quarterback, and I think the most important thing though is. That he did bring, as as you said, that winning culture back to the Bay Area and back to the 49ers organization. That's important. That's going to leave a mark, right? Because even if Jimmy G leaves, the majority of this team is going to stay, right? And this team has been through a lot of adversity, especially in the playoffs, right? They battled through 
The 2019 season was pretty crazy going to the Super Bowl. This season, a couple plays away from going to the Super Bowl, right? So you have a lot of young people on this team that, and a lot of veterans too, it's a good mix, but you have a lot of people on this team that have the playoff experience. That's one thing that, you know, we'll talk about this later. We'll talk about the Bengals. The Bengals are a super playoff inexperienced team, right? They don't have anybody on their team that's been to the playoffs, right? But this 49ers team is in a really good situation. You know, if Trey Lance can pick up the reins where Jimmy G left off and take this team far, right? I think they're in a really good situation to go to the Super Bowl potentially, you know, next year and the year after that. They're just constructed really well. And, you know, with Debo Samuel's emergence this year, that's a huge factor. So I think Jimmy G needs to get the credit he deserves for bringing that winning culture back to the 49ers. But just in terms of me thinking about Jimmy G's future and how other GMs and how other teams might view Jimmy G, I think that's a big thing is... When you're in the playoffs, can he win the games that that count? And to me, the answer is I don't think so. But um, Ani, there's something interesting you said in there in Harem. I wanted to ask you. You said Shanahan with a different quarterback, this the play calling could look different in the fourth, and who knows what the Niners' offense would be with you know a guy like say Matthew Stafford who can make all the throws, make the reads, and you're not kind of praying for him to lead you down a drive, but it's more of an expectation. Um. With the way the Niners are constructed right now, both with all the weapons they have on offense, you know, like Ayuk emerged in the second half of the season after kind of a doghouse first half. Um, you know, you still have Kittle, you have Debo, you have guys crazy like crazy part Eli is you have, you have Trey Sermon like as your third RB, and like he's one of the greatest college running backs of the past decade, and you have him as your third RB and not used at all. Like this, this team is deep on offense in terms of weapons. Right, you have like Eli Mitchell, Raheem Mostert, Trey Sermon. Like, do you think Trey Lance is the guy to be the quarterback for the next two, three years? Like, I think if your team is Super Bowl ready, you can't ask this of Lance right now. Um, I don't know what you think about that. I I think that you can because look at look at the teams that have asked their quarterbacks to be Super Bowl ready, being in the league the same amount of time. Right, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert made the playoffs. The Chargers would be expecting the same thing as him. Joe Burrow, right? He got injured halfway through his rookie season, right? So if you technically think about it, this is his first complete season in the NFL. Granted, you know, like he wouldn't have started. Trey Lance wouldn't be starting a whole year, but he started a couple games and he's been in the organization. He's been in the NFL. He knows what the speed is like. A little dig at Justin Fields there, but he knows what the speed is like, right? So I think. That's the whole point is, is asking him to step up, right? And there's a reason why the, the the 49ers played him in the preseason. They played him in the regular season in some games as well. And there's a reason where if you said the same situation about the Packers, right? Oh, you replace you know Aaron Rodgers with Jordan Love. The Packers organization, is, like Jordan Love is not ready to take the Packers to the playoffs at all, right? Because he, he's barely a part of that team, you know? Like he's barely played 90 games. And if he has, it's been absolute garbage time. And like he doesn't feel like... He's being handed the reins, kind of. But I think it's the opposite with Trey Lance. I think everybody knew. People were surprised at the beginning of the season when Trey Lance wasn't starting, right? So, like, I think he's been set up from a mental perspective, which I think is super important for, for a young quarterback, right? The organization is telling him, and it has been telegraphing this whole time, like, yeah, you are the guy to, to lead us next time. So you have to be ready, and they've been preparing him slowly. So I think... The season was really good that they made the playoffs because, you know, even if he didn't get to play in it, he still understands the pressure, right? They played three playoffs games, right? Playoff games. And two of them were against quite good defenses. And one of them was in the frigid cold in Lambeau. So these experiences will hopefully help Trey Lance to, you know, get started right away. And, you know, 
at least take this team deep and and hopefully get a playoff berth next year. So, Harem, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, honestly, I think my biggest issue with this entire situation is that Trey Lance um, didn't play um, in 20, 2020, if you guys remember. Um, he also, on top of that, played one game, I think, or he played, what, two games for the Niners this season? So that means that he's gone now. He'll have gone two years mm-hmm. at the start of next season while having played, I think, three football games total, like full speed, game reps, everything. He played one exhibition game at NDSU in 2020 um, because their season kind of got canceled at the FCS, and then he played with the, um, against the Cardinals this year and then against the Texans later in the year. So one of my biggest issues is that, like, if we had – started him earlier in the season or just started him the, like the full time, he would have had an entire year of experience under his belt that he could then use to move forward with next year. But the only thing that sucks is that now, you know, he'll be like week one when he's the starter, he's going to be, it's going to be his third start in the NFL total, even though he was, you know, he re- basically redshirted a year. So that's kind of unfortunate, but honestly, I mean, I think, I think the Niners have proven be, like beyond a shadow of a doubt this year that, when they win games, it's not because of their quarterback. And I think that any quarterback in this situation with Shanahan as your play caller, with offensive weapons that they have, with the defense that they have, with their def- defensive coordinator being announced yesterday that he's returning, which is, I think is huge. I think that a, any quarterback on this team is extremely well insulated, whether that be Trey Lance, whether that be Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, it doesn't matter. I think um, this team makes it so that it's not about the quarterback. And anything that any skill set that you can provide beyond whatever Jimmy Garoppolo's was this season is just gravy. And that's more for Shanahan to work with to make sure that, you know, he can put a more comfortable lead um, on top of teams or he can make, you know, he can have open up the playbook when he really needs it, when he really needs to and they're down and they need a drive or whatever it may be. So, I mean, my biggest issue is the lack of experience, but I don't, I don't really, I'm not too worried about like, the pressure on Trey Lance because I think this team is one of the best teams at taking like the pressure off of the quarterback and that they won't be asking them to do too much regardless of like you know who the quarterback is necessarily like so yeah yeah we saw that a couple of the playoff games you know with not really expecting Jimmy G to be that guy but rather you know relying on screen plays and handing it off to Debo and like the plethora of RBs (laughs) that they have so I definitely do see that, and you mentioned Derek Carr is one of the QBs that, you know, uh, a potential fit in this offense, and as a Raider fan and someone who's seen Carr lead countless fourth quarter comebacks, it's it would be kind of scary to see him in that Niner offense, you know, a guy who can make all the throws, not necessarily always the best decision maker, but again, as time and time we've seen in a Shanahan offense, you don't need your quarterback to be that guy, so... Just a little side note, as a Raider fan, still kind of sad about that since he lost. But, you know, yeah. My biggest frustration... With, sorry, what were you going to say? No, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just saying my biggest frustration with the Shanahan offense is I can see at least 12 to 15 quarterbacks in this system excelling beyond whatever Jimmy's been able to do. Derek Carr can hit that Mills concept of Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl. You know, Derek Carr can... <laughs> I mean, honestly, even Jimmy doesn't usually miss this, but I think if you guys remember the first drive of the NFC Championship for the, the Niners. Um, yeah, it was the Kittle miss. That was inexcusable. Like, like there's so many quarter. Even Trey Lance hits that in his sleep. So, like, that's 
I, I just think that it's the biggest frustration about this entire situation is that, you know, everything's been made about the whole record of Shanahan with Garoppolo, Shanahan without Garoppolo. But if you look at the quarterbacks that Shanahan's had when he's not had Garoppolo, um, they're all extremely subpar. And I think that if you put any quarterback that was even the same skill set as Jimmy or even better than Jimmy, which is probably about 15 to 18 of them at least, um, there's no way that his record is 8 and 28 or whatever crazy, like, low record it is if he doesn't have, if he has somebody other than, you know, Nick Mullen, CJ <laughs> Beathard, <laughs> Brian Hoyer as his, as his QBs. Right. I mean, I think you're not putting enough respect on cj butler's name here i think he's at least a top 10 if not a top five quarterback in the league right now and just this is how you get canceled uh, from having a sports podcast dog no i definitely agree yeah. with that point yeah if shana has not had jbg he's had the absolute worst of the worst quarterbacks so I, i'm really excited to see what's gonna i think the, the the word for the 49ers is like excitement i think everyone can use that right because they, they weren't supposed to go this far this year Nobody believed in them, including a lot of fans and maybe even some of the some of the team themselves. When you know they were, they didn't have a great record towards sort of the halfway point of the season. They lost games they should have won. You know they were like, oh, the same thing as twenty twenty. But everyone's excited for next year. You know, Jimmy G leaving. What's going to fill that void? Trey Lance. You know, presumably, obviously, but how will that lead Shanahan to hopefully innovate his offense even more? Because I think just having Trey Lance gives Shanahan options he's never had being an offensive coordinator since, I guess, maybe RG3, right? Shanahan, like the the quarterbacks he's had since RG3, none of them have been similar in terms of having the athletic ability to both run and pass than I would say Trey Lance. So I think this is taking him back to his Washington days, right? But I think the situation here is a significantly better situation. The defense is amazing, right? I think in, in terms of the coordinators, right? As, as we said, D'Amico Ryan's staying, which is great news for the Niners, right? In terms of just having that stability. And, you know, we talk about stability is important for young quarterbacks. Having Brian Dable leave Buffalo, right? That's going to be really interesting to see how the Bills are going to respond, right? Because I feel like Brian Dable's been instrumental in Josh Allen's success. But with the 49ers, they don't have that, right? They don't have that turmoil. And we'll see if Mike McDaniel leaves or not. You know, but he's doing some final round interviews right now. But if he doesn't leave, and I don't think he will, the, the, the way things are going right now, it'll be great for the 49ers having their entire staff back, literally almost most of their team, right? You really just give everything to Trey Lance. And, you know, hopefully this year or this upcoming season, they can do a good job. But if not, that's fine. You know, you have a couple more seasons with everybody. Nobody on our team's super, like, old and is going to retire in a couple years, right? The core of your defense is, is, is pretty young and. You know, Trent Williams seems to be in really, really good shape. And even though he's been injured in the past couple of playoffs games, still performs super well. So it seems like you have the team that's ready to go in the future. And I, excitement is the word I would use to describe the 49ers right now. Yeah. And I think to kind of put a bow on the Niners season, just a, like I think three main takeaways that I look at as the most important going into next season. One, obviously, the continued progression and development of Lance. Um, Two, you have D'Amico Ryans coming back, which I think is huge for that defense, right? Like, we saw them make plays. We saw them execute at such a high level in the playoffs, despite so many injuries to guys. You know, Fred Warner, a couple injury scares in games. We had Ambry Thomas. Um, just a lot of continued adversity that they battled through and still managed to be in the right spots, make the right plays. I know Joukowsky Tart is going to be playing with a huge chip on his shoulder next season. That drop pick is... He's the type of guy I think he's going to get fueled by that and not, you know, haunted by it. So 
I think D'Amico Ryan's coming back is big for that team. And then three, you know, Shanahan has now proven that he can take the team there. It's just a matter of how does he execute late game? Because that's the one thing that's consistently, you know, plagued him in the playoffs, even some regular season games against teams that the Niners are expected to beat, but just don't execute in the last couple minutes. So I would say those three things are just some of the main things to look forward to next year and monitor as we see this Niners team progress and hopefully improve. But yeah, Harem, any last thoughts, anything you just want to get off your chest going into next season? Yeah, y'all got to get off my coach's back, bro. <laughs> At some point, it comes down to the fact that his players just do not execute plays. Um, first, just like I was I was reading, I was like on Twitter, obviously, for the past two days. And some of the some of the stuff is uh is a little bit overblown. I saw that I saw the stat that he's uh he now is responsible for the um <laughs> for the largest um like giving up the largest lead in both the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl and the fourth quarter of um an NFC championship. But both of those leads are ten points, which is a touchdown and a field goal, and it's tied with a bunch of other teams. So I was just like I guess when you frame it that way, it makes it sound way worse than it is. Also, like, I haven't, I like still even like what it's been five, six years now. And I still don't hear a peep about, uh, Dan Quinn taking responsibility for the fact that his team <laughs> just gave up 25 straight points. Um, after, you know, after playing like a decent first half, like nobody, nobody talks about that for some reason, even though he was actually the head coach of the team and they decided to keep him after, <laughs> after the Super Bowl. And that clearly didn't work out for them. Um, so yeah, y'all gotta get off my coach's back. I was looking at some, some of the film and, you know, Kittle is wide open on the, uh, in the flat on the third down play where Jimmy chucked the ball up mm-hmm. and ended up getting picked at the end of the drive. Um, when you had another down to play for, because obviously that was four down territory. Doesn't matter, um, Shane. I was not going to go for it on fourth down anyways. Yeah. Well, that's mean, all I'm saying. Like, get off your coach's back. Sure. But fourth and two in the playoffs, like at this point in the league, where you see Brandon Staley going four, four down every single time. That's insane. That's stupid. Yeah. How did that, how no, did that work out for stupid. Brandon Staley? No, but yeah, no, but uh, yeah, how did it work you, out? You cannot bring up Staley, dog. No, no, no. I'm saying there's a complete opposite. Shanahan will never... You're talking about two yeah, Exactly. Street. No, there needs yeah. to be a middle ground, and Shanahan doesn't seem to understand that. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying... You're you're saying talking, you're, you're, no, I don't know. I would, I, would, I, would push, I would push back on that because, honestly, throughout that throughout that game, what, the, the Rams scored, what, 14 points at that point in the game, right? Like, I, I... Shanahan, I think, has realized that his defense was the unit that was basically, you know, carrying him in the playoffs at, to that point. So him trusting his defense to put him back at the, you know, 13-yard line or whatever that punt ended up going to. I honestly don't have too big of an issue for it. You can look at it. You, I mean, hindsight's always going to be 20-20. You can look back and be like, oh, they really should have gone for it then. And, you know, maybe they could have sealed the game. I mean, like, speaking of which, after the punt on fourth and two, you know what You know what the next play was? It was the Tart yeah. dropped interception. So if Tart doesn't drop that, then now you're looking at the fourth and two as a great decision, right? So, like, I don't know. I think it's, a, I think it's like a, I think it's a huge hindsight thing because when you look in hindsight, you know, you're just like, oh, he should have gone for fourth and two. But like, if Tart makes that pick, the entire conversation Shifts to, around oh, that's a genius McVay, decision. Stafford, yeah. Shanahan, everything changes, yeah. right? So like, yeah, the fourth and two call I wasn't too upset about. I think what I was more upset with Shanahan about was that delay of game. I think mm-hmm. on the yeah, drive after was, was kind of yeah. unacceptable. You should have just burned one of your timeouts. Your opponent has no timeouts left because some of the M- stupidest did, challenges I've seen in a long time. He was so bad. Yeah. 
I really, dude, if the, if McVeigh had lost that game, man, this narrative, <laughs> he would be getting dragged right now. It would have been absolutely hilarious because th- those two challenges were actually some of the stupidest challenges I've seen. Um, so yeah, the delay of game is what I guess makes me mad. Um, I believe after 13 minutes, with 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, Shanahan only manufactured one touch for Debo Samuel, yeah. um, between 13 minutes left to the rest of the game, which I think is also unacceptable. I mean, like, I get it. He had one. Debo pretty much had, I'd say, like, two good or, like, really, really big plays in that game. One was obviously the screen that he broke, like, 20,000 tackles to, like, take to the end zone. And then the other one was, I think, an 11-yard screen pass again where he just – Troy Reader was on his back three yards into the play, and he just dragged him all, like, eight more yards to pick up a first down. Um So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, like – I think Shanahan needs to obviously figure out some of the stuff he wants to do in late game situation. But I think that I think with Trey Lance as quarterback next year, hopefully, you know, he has a little bit more of the playbook to access um, to. I saw this funny quote on a comment stream the other day that a football field is 53 yards by 100 yards. So 53 yards wide, 100 yards long. But with Jimmy Garoppolo, you only have 35 by 25 to work with. So. You've only got 35 yards of width because the man loves throwing between the numbers. Y'all know that. And then he refuses to throw the ball downfield. So I'm, I'm excited. One last thing I just want to say is that, um, people are like, you know, a little iffy on Trey Lance. You got to understand that the pure presence of Trey Lance is going to improve the Niners run game Mm -hmm. so much because when you make it 11 on 11 football and you have just a threat of him keeping the ball with him or getting it pitched back or, you know, just QB power or whatever. Some of the stuff that you've seen Allen do, Lamar do, obviously it probably won't be to that level yet because he still needs to refine, I think, in general. Just having him on the field, having him as a threat to run with its own read packages um, or, like, shotgun packages is just going to make Mitchell, Debo, you know, Moster, if you bring him back, Sermon, Jeff Wilson, all these people are just going to get – you know, maybe one and a half to two extra yards per carry, and that can make can make a hell of a difference because we know what Shanahan does when he's once he hits forty carries, he just dominates times of dominates time of possession, keeps his defense rested, and he'll just he'll just clobber people. So. It's also just like such a such a benefit for the offensive line, right? Knowing you have a guy who can kind of you know cover up your mistakes. Like we saw Tom Compton in the playoffs, just for sure. absolutely oh, a God, nightmare. Don't even get me right? started. And it's just like it. Rashawn Gary sent him to the. Send him to the grave. No, bro. you're right. It's just unfair for these guys who you know aren't always put in these spots in high pressure situations to be like all of a sudden expected to block for Jimmy G in the playoffs, right? Like it's just an uncomfortable situation for them. So having a guy who can you know open yeah. up the field, like create more running lanes, I think that's going to be beneficial for everyone around him, like you said. So it is exciting. I think the Niners are going to be a fun team next year, and we're all looking forward to see how they're doing. Even though you know obvious issues this year but i think those will get corrected they're going to improve and yeah that's all i got on the niners um yeah thanks for joining us bro it was good having you on yeah i appreciate hearing your perspective it's really interesting and hope you can join us for for more niners talk later in the future and hopefully next season it'll be a lot more positive things to say and and maybe you'll be like oh yeah trey lance is the second coming of I don't even know who he could be. I don't even know who he could be compared to because he seems like he has a little bit of a lot of players. But yeah, thanks for joining, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Appreciate it. Go Niners. Not gonna say that. <laughs> who are you a fan of, Honey? By the way, I just don't. No, I'm a, no, you heard the Brandon Staley reference? That's. But I was. I'm kind of pissed about that, dude. I, you go for it. You just you, you 
Kick what field goal you with the game. Are you a, wait? Are you a Chargers yeah. fan? Kick what field goal you with the you game? You have no right to talk about Brandon Staley yeah. making any good it's coaching tough. decisions. Oh no! I was saying he made a bad coaching decision. I was saying he made bad coaching decisions. You kick one field goal. Listen, man, y'all got to figure out how you're going to stop the run from too high because this is getting ridiculous. Yeah, it's like, like I every wish... single time I saw if I if I lived in New Jersey, man, and I was I had the ability to bet, I would have bet the over on every single running back that yeah. faced the Chargers this entire second half. Of it's the like, season. yeah, sure, so, it works when you have Aaron Donald on your team, but like when you don't have Aaron Donald on your team, there's exactly. like, yeah. So I mean, we were gonna draft. Yeah, when you eat up triple teams and the A, B, and yeah, C gap are all closed up, then, exactly. yeah, you can stop the run from too high, or when Jalen is just gonna erase one entire half it's, of the it's view, ridiculous but, but yeah I, I hope he figures it out though he seems like a bright young dude i like hearing his press conferences um yeah so, i i yeah, like seeing us win happens. more though so you know <laughs> uh, all right all right see y'all chiefs Bengals. oh man dude if, if i listen I, I listened back to the to the episode after after the game mm-hmm. I, I was it seems like I don't know that. Like initially, it's like, oh yeah, this guy Ani, he doesn't know anything about football. But like, it's like the, the Chiefs just did not adjust to anything in the second half. It's like I'm so confused as to what. Like, remember the first few games of the season when people were like, oh, the Chiefs are you know they're they're going downhill. Everyone has them figured out because of the other two high looks, right? The the thing that. That we were just talking about, and I, I was like, "Yeah, but the Chiefs are gonna adjust. That's why they're good, is because Patrick Mahomes can adjust." But they just did not adjust at all in that the second half of that game. It's yeah, insane. this like was, this was a micro adjustment that they didn't make, and I know what you're talking about, kind of more of a whole season thing. I think they did adjust to some of those offensive struggles that they had mid season, where people were saying, "You know, is Mahomes not the guy that we think he is? Is that contract an albatross? Is it not gonna be good in the next four or five years?" I don't think there's any of those issues, but man, when you score 21 points in what the first quarter and a half, looking unstoppable, moving the ball at will, and you just go away from that. I mean, listen, credit to Cincy. Their defense adjusted. They did what they had to do. Um, it's inexcusable. Like, you, you have arguably the most talented trio of offensive weapons in the league in Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill. Right, you expect those guys to help you move the chains a little bit. No, the guys exactly. like Hardman, Robinson, Edwards, Alaire, Jerk McKinnon. I feel like they were just phased out of the offense entirely in that late third quarter, fourth quarter when you know they needed drives to keep Cincy at bay, and they just couldn't do that. Yeah, and I think that look for me, the 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 sequence that gave that away was what the the Bengals pick off Patrick Mahomes. Then Joe Burrow throws a pick, right? And then the Bengals go sorry, and then and then the Chiefs go three and out. And it's like, yeah, you just turned the ball over. You got you got lucky that that was that was not a great ball from Joe Burrow. You, you got the turnover back. How do you go three and out? It's like and like as as a Chargers fan, I'm very familiar with watching the Chiefs consistently blow up our team and our defense every single time they play us. And it's like I've never seen the 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 Patrick Mahomes led Chiefs go that many even. Even against the Patriots in 2018 in that AFC Championship game, they, they didn't go three and out as much as they did towards the second half of this game. And it's just like, I I mean, it's kind of like, I, I guess the the new thing is to drop eight in coverage against the Chiefs, uh, screw too high. It's just like, drop eight in coverage, just, just rush three and hope that the pressure gets to Mahomes. And it's very, very interesting to me. Very interesting to me that Mahomes didn't, 
extend the pocket and use his legs to get first downs, which we're so used to seeing him doing because he's so good at that, right? He didn't really do that. There, there's a lot of things that Mahomes usually does that that he doesn't do, and you see the good teams in the NFL, right? They'll they'll double Tyreek and they'll put a really really good player on Kelsey, and you see the Chargers do that a lot, right? They'll double Tyreek, they'll put Derwin James on Kelsey, mm-hmm. and they tell Patrick Mahomes, okay, either you make the play with your legs or you involve everybody else. And the thing that Patrick Mahomes is great at is he's great at dumping the ball off to to his running backs in the flat, and they'll get a couple yards, or he's great at involving you know some of the other uh, wide receivers on the, on the team like Hardman, like Pringle, right? But it mm-hmm. seems like, as you said, those guys were just non-existent to him in, in the second half. It was just incredibly confusing. And, I mean, I don't like to say, I do actually like to say a lot, but I don't like to say in this scenario that, like, one team won the game and one team lost the game necessarily because I think, you know, both no, we're not things happen, had, had to happen. We're not doing that. Which is Which is... No, I'm gonna do that. I think the the Chiefs lost this game, dude. No, dude. There's so many plays that led to this. Like, I thought the Bengals defense had so many coverage sacks. Like, whether Mahomes had negative yardage or not on those plays, like he, it was hard for him to get the ball where he wanted it to go. And credit to the D line too. Like, I think there were a lot of plays where they contained the run. You know, oh, the, the Bengals played mind, out of their mind. They played an insanely like well coached game in the second half specifically. But right. I just think, and like, like the, I'm used the, to Patrick Mahomes being this guy, and he just wasn't. The play that jumps out to mind in which there's this dichotomy of, you know, we expect Mahomes to run the ball, but he just didn't have any options was they got down to the Cincy, I think, 10 or 5-yard line. And, you know, Romo and Nance were talking about how, oh, Kansas City has a bunch of options. You know, they could try and um, down the get the ball down to the 2, to the 1, and you know, try and stall some clock before they score. And since he just did not let that happen, and then there was those couple of plays where Mahomes was sacked, Mahomes fumbled the ball, nearly disastrous sequence. And I thought all of that was just incredible coverage, one, by the Bengals' secondary, and two, preventing Mahomes from getting those little outside cheeky seven, eight-yard plays that we're just so accustomed to him making. And also, I know he's been getting a lot of hate on Twitter, but... Shout out Eli Apple for making, I think, the game-defining play at the end of the first half. Chiefs up 21-10, about to score, you know, at the four-yard line. And five seconds left, Mahomes throws a pass to Hill. And every time this happens, we expect Kansas City to get the ball in the end zone. Eli Apple stops Hill, cold in his tracks at, I think, the two-yard line. They go to the half only down 11. That stop creates so much momentum, not only for your defense, knowing you can stop KC goal line, but also for the offense, right? Like that's a big play that keeps you alive. It makes you want to get that back for your defense and shout out Eli Apple, man. Unsung hero of that game. Nearly came up with a pick in the fourth too. Yeah. 1000%. That was a crazy play. And watching that was like, oh yeah, typical Chiefs go ahead and score and Eli Apple with the crazy play. He got a lot of flack. He was just flack on Twitter mainly because a he gets burnt a lot, right? And I, like, there's always those stats of like every good receiver in the books is absolutely torching Eli Apple. Also, he talks a lot of smack for someone that has been torched that much. I will mm-hmm. have to say, so like a lot of flack on Twitter coming his way deservedly, but he was definitely, as you said, one of the unsung heroes of this game. Without him, that comeback would not be possible. Even if like. If the score a field goal there, whatever it is, it's touchdown basically kills the game. 
field goal, the momentum is hurt, but getting that stop, right? And that to right before you get the ball back, it's just like, or actually, no, they can get the ball back. The Chiefs got the ball starting the second half, I believe. But still, whatever it may be, you stop the the, the, the team that you thought was un, almost unbeatable in, in that first half, right? I think objectively, the Bengals defense played terribly that first half, right? So the Bengals knew going to the locker room, like, hey, if we just like play our game, we, we can beat this team. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. That's exactly what they did. So a pretty, pretty fantastic game to watch. And I absolutely love the confidence that Joe Burrow exudes. And uh, obviously people the whole season were talking about, oh, you know, Herbert or Burrow, Herbert or Burrow. You know, if you go back and some people are like, if you go back to like to, to, to draft day two years ago, I would I would draft Herbert over Burrow. And some people were like, no, I, w- I would stay drafting Burrow over Herbert. I think Herbert could be like in terms of like physical skills and whatever they both can make all the throws they both have you know whatever in terms of that. i think herbert's obviously more gifted physically but like the one thing that he's missing that like granted the the chargers teammates his teammates love him and they, he gets a lot of buy-in but like joe burrow just has this confidence that like injects and infects everybody around him and like i feel like his teammates would like they, they would literally die for him at this point and like that confidence he has just spreads to every single part of the game and every single part of the team. And like, once that confidence gets going, it's just so hard to, to like, I can't imagine this team. Joe Burrow is such a pivotal part of this team because this team oozes like, yeah, we're just here. Cause like we, we, we think we're going to win every single game. And, and that's why we do. And again, there were so many games this past season where the Bengals definitely shouldn't have won and they eked it out and so many close games and Joe Burrow is a big part of that. I love that you emphasized Burrow's importance to this team and I think it's for two reasons, right? And why the Bengals are as good as they are. One, you have a guy who he's won a national title with LSU and I know people don't always look at college success as a performance indicator for your future NFL success, but this was recent. This was with Jamar Chase. The two biggest playmakers on this Bengals offense are first and second year guys. And I can't tell you how much that matters in terms of a leadership role for a young quarterback when the two guys most responsible for the offensive success of the team are young guys. Like, you're going to have vets looking up to you. You're going to have guys who have been around for a couple of years impressed by your play, impressed by the poise of you know, pretty fresh starters in this league. And I think Burroughs encapsulated Cincinnati football better than anybody has in the last, God knows how many of your years we've been watching football. Like, obviously the Dalton, AJ Green, those teams were fun, could never do anything in the postseason, always one and done. So I think they finally have a guy who, you know, charisma, handling the fame well, and having one of his best friends and teammates from college as his wide receiver one, those are, you can't quantify those things. Absolutely. Like insane luck that that was able to happen. Right. And shout out to the Bengals organization for, for spending such a high pick on drafting him this year. Cause as everything you said, you know, hundred percent echoed that and you can see it on the field. That's, that's the biggest thing. Right, you you can see the impact it's having on both those guys and on the offense, and he also he's just such a good player. Jamar Chase is such a good player, so you know it really makes a big difference. And I think 
the biggest reason that the Bengals are in the Super Bowl is because they believe they could. And I, I don't think a lot of teams have that raw belief that like Joe Burrow can bring. So it's kind of crazy. And let's talk about the preview of the Super Bowl. So it's the Bengals, this team that believes in themselves when nobody else does. This team that has this fantastic leader in Joe Burrow. This, this guy that exudes confidence like I've never seen before. And then you have the Rams. And they're supposed to be like... I don't even know what they're supposed to be. Because they're just an absolutely insanely built team. That They're here for a reason. And that's because they were built to be here. Right? They're they, the super they team. Are, yeah, exactly. They are built for one reason only. And that is to win a Super Bowl. This defense is loaded. This offense is loaded. The trades for OBJ, Von Miller, just they're such win now. All right, all good. They're such win now moves. And, you know, based on what we saw from Odell Beckham, we didn't know what to expect from him in a Rams uniform. Von Miller, like still a good player, but not the once dominant force that he was with the Broncos. But both of them have just had complete career revitalizations on a winning team on a team that's expected to contend for a championship. So I like everything about this Rams team. And I was going to say, we should do a little thing. Do you want the Bengals or the Rams right now? We got to make cases for both of these teams to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't think, uh, how can you not pick the Rams? All right, so I'll take the Bengals. Go, give me your Rams take. Why are they winning the Super Bowl? Because they're supposed to. (laughs) If they don't, it would be really embarrassing. Because, like, they're a better team than they were when they made the Super Bowl against the Patriots that year, right? They have Von Miller and they have Matthew Stafford and the emergence of Cooper Cup, and they also have Odell Beckham Jr. They're just an insanely well-built team, right? They have every single position that you could possibly want and need to, to win the Super Bowl. They have that. And whatever offensive game plan and defensive game plan that the Bengals throw at the che- uh, sorry at, at the Rams, the, the Rams are going to stop it and they're going to counter So. If if they don't win, I'll be super surprised. I'll be even more surprised than the Chiefs losing, right? Just because. Yes, I agree. I think everyone was surprised the Chiefs lost, especially at home. Um, I'll give you my take on why Cincy might win this. Um, when you're playing with house money, there you don't feel the pressure of having to deliver for someone, right? If Cincy lost in the conference championship game, a successful season. After that Raiders playoff win, their season was already a 10 out of 10, you know, with breaking the playoff streak and showing that, you know, this is a young team building towards something more, you know, in the next two, three years, maybe they could advance to a title game, get some free agents, build more. But now they're in the Super Bowl. They have a stud quarterback, I think top seven, top eight in the league easily. They have a physical wide receiving core, you know, T Higgins, Jamar Chase. The Chase-Ramsey matchup is going to be something to watch because usually Ramsey, no matter how finesse the wide receivers are in this league, how speedy, how skilled they are, he's stronger than most of them. And I don't think I can say that for him about Jamar Chase. I think both of them are going to be in a, a very physical, gritty, honestly, it's going to be a lot of penalties on both sides in that matchup. It's going to be a fun one-on-one matchup to watch. And then you have tough guys like CJ Uzoma who are going to exploit, I think, the middle of that Rams defense. Well, hopefully um, he's, he's playing in that game because he was in tears. I think he's playing. I think he's he was playing. in tears as he's being carted off in the locker room. So 
No, no, no. He's playing. I saw a bunch of tweets this week saying okay, he's that's good. Good to yeah, go for the Super Bowl. Definitely good for that. But Joe Mixon, another physical runner who I think is going to take a little of the pressure off since he's battered offensive line. Um, that's the only weakness I see for this Bengals team is how do you stop Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and the rest of that vaunted defensive line? It's I both of them, them combined, which is the the worst thing. It's like. Not only Aaron Donalds, Aaron Donald and Von Miller. Right. So it's it's just this this Rams team is such a defensive nightmare, and such an offensive. It's just like a nightmare on every single front because they can run the ball pretty well, right? They can give it to Cooper Cup if you play zone. They'll give it to OBJ because he knows how to sit in those pockets, and like they have the deep threat with Matthew Stafford, but he's a pretty good short passer too. And then on the defensive end, you have an amazing defensive line. Your linebackers are okay, but then you have Eric Weddle coming through and really being a pretty good impact player. And I'm very surprised that he, you know, basically came from sitting at home playing video games or not really, he's probably spending time with his family, you know? And right. coming from that, just to, you know, literally be, a, uh, I think, a pretty pivotal part in the past two, I guess, three wins that the, that the Rams have been a part of. So, um, yeah, this Rams team is going to be hard to stop. Uh, I hope the Bengals win. I would love to see the Bengals win. I would love to see the Rams lose. Will be absolutely hilarious for all the storylines and the memes and stuff. But uh, I'm not very confident about that. But you know, we'll see what happens. Super Bowl Sunday, which you know, uh, I, I put a Twitter poll out, and uh, it was pretty close. Only 52% of people said that the the question was, you know, would you be cool with moving the Super Bowl to a Saturday? And 48% of people said no, keep it on Sunday. 52% of people said keep it or move it to Saturday. So I think I said the same thing like three times. But anyways, it was like basically even even. I think it was like 24 or 25 people voted in the poll. So like basically a difference of one person. But it's pretty crazy to me because, you know, Sundays are not that fun for Super Bowls. I mean, it's, it's a fun thing, but the Monday is not that fun afterwards, you know. Just the vibes yeah, I are... I think everyone, after the Super Bowl, no one's thinking about trying to go to work the next day i just right? want to like, spend the next day just on twitter the whole time like living it up reading the memes you know which is exactly 100%. what happened like the the sunday after the aaron Rodgers loss was just twitter central like it was beautiful it's perfect oh and for and for those who enjoy consuming substances like after if your favorite team is in the super bowl you you don't want to be going into your desk job or Whatever you do the next morning, you want to be drinking your night away, whether it's sorrows or enjoyment with your friends. Like, and the worst part about this Super Bowl is it is on Sunday, and then Monday is Valentine's Day. So it's just like... Oh, man. Yeah, it's just a really like terrible timing for everything. It's on a Sunday, which, you know, first off is terrible. And the second off, the, the next, but like the, the following day is Valentine's Day. So it's just like, it's, it's a whole... It's a, it, Ter- terrible, terribly planned by the NFL, right? And I, I saw a bunch of people on TikTok. Um, a lot of people, uh, specifically women, were like, "Oh my god, like the NFL, like why would you guys plan this, whatever?" And they're like, "Yeah, all, all they're they were generalized. They'd be like, oh, all the girls are pissed, but like the guys are like, everyone should be pissed, right? Like, like it's 100%. just no, no, no one wants to deal with like impendingness of Valentine's Day. Just want to focus and watch the Super Bowl, and the next day, like you know, go on Twitter and like." recover and recoup and then you can focus on whatever happens afterwards so i agree should be a saturday thing it'll never change i think yeah. football is just traditionally a sunday sport but speak speaking of football being a traditionally something 
Let's, let's talk about Brian Flores and let's talk about what's been happening. Uh, pretty crazy day today. Tom Brady's retired, and we're literally not gonna we're not gonna talk about that today because yeah, I mean we can we, we can keep the the Flores stuff short because there's not much I have to say besides the fact that I completely agree with everything that he's done. So, yeah. Ani, so if you want to give a quick summary of what's been going on, so the news is Brian Flores filed a lawsuit against the NFL. Brian Flores, longtime coach, assistant coach, defensive backs coach, linebackers coach on the Patriots. He became an NFL head coach a couple of years ago, was the coach of Miami. There was a lot of turmoil through his his coaching reign on, you know, Tua Tungavaloa being drafted and, and what to do with him. And he the the team he was given and the team that was constructed for him it was not a good team. But he consistently every single year, you know, over delivered on, on expectations and people knew that. But towards the end of the season kind of randomly he got fired after the season ended and it was because he quote-unquote had a bad relationship with the team owner and it was not very like it was pretty well known that the team owner wanted Deshaun Watson on that on that team and was willing to do anything but Brian Flores did not want Deshaun Watson on that team and Brian Flores is known in coaching circles as you know a person that can command a team command their respect and it was really surprised to see him fired, but it was even more surprising that a lot of coaching positions were being filled this year, and there was a lot of openings, and Brian Flores wasn't one of them, right? You see, you saw Josh McDaniels being hired by the Raiders, Brian Dabble being hired by the Giants, right? And you, you see other name being other names being thrown around, and then today, you know, and the, the timing of it, it being you know the first day of Black History Month, uh, the the timing of it is, is is Brian Flores filing this lawsuit, and he alleges that he was racially profiled against or discriminated against by the NFL and specifically three teams, the Dolphins, the team that he coached for, right? The Broncos and then the Giants. So with, 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 with the Dolphins, he's saying that the owner of the Dolphins, one, tried to pay him $100,000 for every game that he lost so that they could get a worse record so that they would have a better draft position, Right. Which is very illegal, and if that can even remotely be proven as true, the owner is going to have to relinquish ownership and you know permanently be be banned from the NFL because you know that's obviously incredibly illegal, right? Talk about integrity of the game, right? Like exactly. you are hired as a coach to turn around a football franchise. Like at all costs, you should be winning games, whether you have a rat team or not. Mm-hmm. And if like you said, if this is proven true, for an owner to be saying that to a coach is race issues aside beyond perplexing. Yeah. So, I mean, so if Flores is alleging that that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, tried to pay him $100,000 to lose a game or to lose every single, like, per game he lost. Second, Flores is alleging that uh, uh, Stephen Ross invited him on his yacht and, like, coincidentally... And in the lawsuit, it says a prominent quarterback, but like people are like, oh yeah, that's Deshaun Watson. Like coincidentally, Deshaun Watson will like come by. And then it isn't tampering because it's a coincidence, right? And like the Flores would basically try and convince Watson or Watson convinced Flores that, you know, basically Watson was going to come to Miami and, you know, Flores was not with that. And apparently that's what soured that relationship. So that's what he's alleging against the Dolphins. Against the Broncos, he's alleging that uh, 
John Elway, general manager of the Broncos, and the rest of you know the the operations team and the people that are interviewing him, showed up late to their interview, showed up disheveled, smelling of alcohol, and apparently clearly came from a night out. And then so that they didn't give him a, a clear shot. And like the next day, they'd hired Vic Fangio, who who was white to be their coach. And a, a, a big factor in this is to increase diversity, the NFL, um, tr- to try and increase diversity, I'd say, the NFL implemented this rule called the Rooney Rule, in which you need to um, interview at least two minority candidates for each coaching position, right, b- before the, the search is complete. So that's probably why he was interviewed. And then the, the third thing he's saying is the, the, the New York Giants – they interviewed him purely as a sham, and it was a sham process. And the reason this was discovered was because of Bill Belichick, his, his former head coach for many, many years when, when Brian Flores was coaching in, in New England. Bill Belichick texted Brian Flores saying congrats. And, you know, Brian Flores was con- confused. He texted Bill Belichick back, like, on what? Bill was like, oh, on the Giants job, right? And then Brian Flores was like, yeah, I'm interviewing on, on Thursday. I think I have a shot. And basically, it, it's revealed that Bill Belichick found the news out that it was actually Brian Dable that was getting hired by the Giants and not Brian Flores. And maybe he got confused by the name Brian. Maybe he was on purpose and he did all this to, you know, throw the Giants or an organization under the bus. Whatever it may be, no one knows. But basically, like, that that string of texts, which he's included screenshots of the texts in his suit. And, you know, it would be kind of stupid of him to fake text from Bill Belichick, right? Like, Yeah, of course. And... I, like you said, I if if you have time, go look at the suit. I, I'm saying for anyone listening right now, because usually with all these long documents, like obviously, like you're not gonna take time out of your day to read a whole like suit against another party. But I agree. This but one there's is just so much so stuff emotionally charged and talks and it, about it, so it many has stuff about other with, coaches too. It has, like Eric right. Bieniemy. Offensive coordinator of, of, of the Chiefs. There's two whole pages laid out. Listing his qualifications. Listing the amount of times he's been interviewed for positions. For head coaching positions. And, and not not gotten any. Right? And mm-hmm. I think it was pretty ironic today. So uh, Patrick Graham. Who is the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants. Uh, was interviewed by the Vikings. Right? And he's black. And so he was interviewed today. And like right after he was interviewed. Ian Rappaport quotes saying, you know, Jim Harbaugh is expected to be in Minneapolis tomorrow and is going into the job with confidence that he will get it, right? And it's basically a done deal that he's going to get the job. Apparently, he said his goodbyes at Michigan to the players and the coaching staff and his office is empty. And it's like, yeah, the, the, the news just broke and the suit was just filed. That like, yeah. Some of these black coaches or a lot of these black coaches are getting interviewed just this it's a sham interview process. They're going to interview purely for diversity's sake, purely because you have to interview black coaches, at least one or two of them before you know, you, you hire a white coach. And we're seeing exactly that. We're seeing a black coach that was interviewed. And the minute after his interview is done, a football insider is saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's basically a done deal that this white coach is going to be good, good, going to be coming in. Right. So listen, if you're if you're a franchise and you're looking to hire a new coach. I understand if maybe, like, for example, in this case, Brian Flores, if you're the New York Giants, if he's not your guy, you still have to go through due process and interview every candidate and take time before you make a decision. Like, one, unprofessional to hire someone 
internally within the organization but and then continue interviewing other candidates but like like a team like the Vikings there is no need to expedite the process of hiring someone and yes like they're not saying oh we hired Jim Harbaugh but when you have so many people reporting on it and then the Vikings Instagram and Twitter pages made this post saying we have completed the second interview with you know prospective candidate who's not Jim Harbaugh it looks really bad and the optics are just not what you want for a franchise when you're trying to be relevant when you especially are in a time when the issue of a lack of african-american coaches in the league is so prevalent none of this looks good for the nfl for the teams involved and you feel bad for these honestly overqualified candidates yeah you see a lot of coaches that come from really interesting situations like matt rule coming from college no nfl experience nfl head coach you see josh mccown never held a coaching position in his life he's like i guarantee you that if the like the Texans had like if this had not come out. The Texans would have probably announced him as their head coach, and he's never held a coaching position in the in his life. So you see so many of these examples of underqualified coaches, of college coaches coming in that you know don't have the experience, and you see all you know these career guys, right? Like you know uh, Eric Bieniemy, like Brian Flores, right? There's so many examples. You know, Todd Bowles, for example, right? So how long did it take him to get a coaching job? And, well, you know, a lot of these coaches, you know, Todd Bowles was put in a terrible situation in New York. And now, you know, he's done an amazing an amazing job as the defensive coordinator of the Bucks, helping them win the Super Bowl last year. But you don't see him being considered. But, you know, you see Jim Harbaugh, you, you saw, saw what happened towards the end of his reign in San Francisco, right? Never won a Super Bowl. And now he's being considered again. He's going to be the head coach for another team, right? These black head coaches... They get one chance and they're out, right? They have they have no leash, right? They 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 have no leeway. So it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy that you know one mistake, one bad situation, for them, they're they're out of a job forever. But these white head coaches, again, I have. Sorry to not not to overstep, but I don't, I don't have an issue of the the hiring credentials or the criteria you have for hiring someone is their qualifications, right? Like nobody is gonna sit here with a reasonable football mind and say Jim Harbaugh is a bad head coaching candidate. He is responsible one for the initial Niners turnaround. He is responsible for turning around the Michigan football franchise. You know, they made the the college football playoffs this year and had ultimately a very successful season. I, I have no issues with him being a head coaching candidate. And honestly, I have no issues with him being a head coach. It's just do the right thing in the process leading up to that like that should not be so difficult in 2022 yeah exactly i think you know we've seen a lot of bad hiring decisions the past few years urban meyer being one of them and we've also seen some some like like joe judge for example like how how did he how, how did he get to coach the giants nobody knows right like truly it's very unreal how he like from a special teams coordinator to coaching the like the like like a premier New York-based like football team, it does not make any sense. Remember Jim Tom Sula, he had a terrible instant as a Niners head coach. Granted, he was in a pretty bad situation, but he was being considered for head coaching gigs even when you know people like Eric Bieniemy were just sitting there not getting any head coaching offers. So we'll see how this develops, and I think 
obviously this this needs to be put back towards ownership there's there's not enough black owners there's not enough black decision makers or even you know people of color there's there's not enough minority decision makers in the nfl right now so that's obviously what's keeping this process sort of living right is the fact mm-hmm. that there's not enough people who who look like eric Bieniemy, like brian flores like robert sala there's not enough of those decision makers in the nfl so you know people are going to go with what they feel comfortable with and people mm-hmm. are going to go with what they think is the best decision without you know rendering or listening to their implicit biases so you know the thing that needs to change is the ownership group the denver broncos are for sale hopefully you know it's not going to be some rich white guy that 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 buys the the broncos because if if it is it's going to be some of the same stuff that we've seen over and over again from that team right i mean again that's what brian flores is alleging right so we have to see change in nfl leadership and nfl ownership there's a lot of change that has to happen and i'm sure this will continue to happen but i think the best thing to do whenever it happens is, is talk about it because if you don't talk right. about it, this gets pushed under the rug then there's no awareness right and, and it'll no... take time like exactly. we have no expectations this changes immediately but it is like clearly big enough that you have a guy willing to risk his nfl career no it's done so it's i don't think flores is going to be hired anytime soon by anybody yeah. but because it props if it, to him. I think if, if he loses the suit, if he loses the, the suit, he's basically blackballed. If he wins the suit, like who's going to hire him? Like it doesn't make any sense. So this is like a Kaepernick situation, but as a head coach, exactly. So really interesting situation overall. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I mean, again, hopefully we just need to continue raising awareness about things like this, and then you know, hopefully change will come, and we can only hope that change will come because from our perspective, there's not much we can do. You know, if advertisers start to pull out, that's that's when it makes a difference. But, I mean, I guess we could potentially try boycotting, stopping to watch the NFL. But, you know, it, it is a sport that we all love, and it's going to be very hard to do that. So the, the only way the NFL is going to change is if it sees, you know, their viewership dropping or if it sees their advertising dollars drop. So, you know, it be interesting to see what happens moving forward with the situation. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think... I guess that... that kind of wraps up our episode for today you know we had a lot of different stuff going on we had championship games we had super bowl i got the rams winning this by the way i don't know if we did picks but i think the rams won this like 27 21 uh i don't think it'll be actually not that's a good score that's a good score yeah 27 21 30 21 somewhere around there i think this is a pretty good estimate yeah i think the Rams are for sure gonna win this too but yeah, thanks thanks for listening. Again, appreciate the support. Appreciate, you know, we we did get a lot of positive support from our first episode back last first episode back last weekend, so appreciate the support as always. If you, if you want to come in the pod, just just let us know and we'd be more than happy to to have you on and talk football, talk basketball, talk any sport you want, honestly. In our next episode cuz there'll, there'll be a break and we're not talking about the pro bowl, that's that's for sure. Um Next episode will be basketball focused because there's there's a lot going on. Warriors had a crazy win today. The Suns are going absolutely insane. You know, um, a lot to talk about in the NBA NBA world. But yeah, yes, basketball is much needed on this feed, and we'll get back to it soon. Yeah. So thanks for watching, and I guess something's never changed because, as always, stay safe and wash your hands. Wash your hands, people. Peace.